Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Baron Arrow to my Cupid. It's Justin Peach. <laughs> I wonder where that was going. Good day to you, Ryan. <laughs> Good day to you, Justin. Justin, it's your birthday. It is. It is. You're now at that age where, as a player, you're just about to reach your peak. Do you feel as if you're at your peak as a broadcaster? Well, we're almost 18 months in, so perhaps maybe a bit early, but... You could argue I'm in my peak with everything at the moment, so yeah, maybe. Superb. Good to hear. Making his second-tier debut as a live guest this week, we have Jimmy Atkinson from the Preston podcast from The Finney. Welcome to the show, Jimmy. What have you got, Justin, for his birthday? Nothing at the minute, chaps, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> thanks for putting me on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Uh, you are listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games from the past weekend in the championship. We'll talk some of the news from the past week, and we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. Just the 10 games this weekend after more matches in South Yorkshire were called off because of the weather. That includes the Rotherham v QPR game. We were meant to have Charlie from the YouTube channel Talking Rangers with us, but if there's no game, then there's no point in him coming on. Note to self, stop booking guests whose team are playing in South Yorkshire. Uh, instead, let's discuss the game from Friday night, the Lancashire Derby between Preston and Blackburn, which finished 2-1 to Preston. Greg Cunningham and Liam Lindsay getting the goals. Jimmy, what did you make of the game? It was a strange game, really. Um, wasn't expecting the lineup that we went with. Uh, four changes from the previous game and also a change of shape. Went 3-5-2 for probably only the third or fourth time this season. Um, so, yeah, really surprised by the team, but my word, it worked. Um, first 20, 25 minutes, Blackburn couldn't handle us. Um, we had the high press, which was a real key part of our game under Alex Neal in the first couple of seasons to being here. So we haven't really seen this high press for quite a while, but outnumbered them in midfield, pressed them really high and, yeah, just a really good watch. Yeah, well, there weren't a shed load of chances, really, were they? You could argue Blackburn perhaps edged it in that regard, but... Preston took the chances when they came to them, and that's not something we've particularly seen with Preston much this season, is it? Not really. I think both teams had chances second half. I think we've had four decent chances. I think if Emil Reese goes down instead of taking the shot um, when he's been clipped by Branthwaite, you know, it's 3 1 at that point, game's over. Um, but I didn't think Blackburn were as good as everyone keeps making out. I mean, the form going into the game their goals have dried up a little bit and you can tell that their sort of confidence is lacking. I think when he's gone with Bradley Dack over Harvey Elliott, which surprised every North End fan out there because I think Harvey Elliott was the big 
talking point before the game from our point of view because he's looked on fire. I mean, his goal contributions this season are fantastic. And I think he was the person, that, you know, and the player that we were probably feared more than anyone. Mm. And when we said he was on the bench and they started dark, we thought, that's amazing because Bradley Dark's never done it in a derby game. Yeah. Well, for Blackburn, Justin, they just looked like they were reaching top gear, weren't they? But um, two straight losses now, and they're looking like going back to being disappointing again. <laughs> yeah, we say top gear. I just don't think that they even got close to being in top gear. In, in well, top gear going back to uh, earlier on in the season where they were having so many chances, scoring so many goals, and it's not really they've not re- replicated that. Um, and it's starting to stutter now. And I just I've said for a few weeks now that they're going to struggle to make the playoffs because of that. And you know, as Jimmy pointed out, the the, the goals have dried up and. The lack of conversion has always been there compared to the amount of chances they create. And of late, it's it's not been happening. And um, as pointed out, Bradley Dack came in. There were some times in the last 15 minutes of the game where they were starting to go a little bit more direct and Bradley Dack was coming down at right back to collect the ball. And really, you need players like that further up the pitch. Um, it just felt like they lacked a bit of control um, and it, they, they became very easy to counter-attack for... Uh, well, in the latter stages of the game, which sort of gave the control back to Preston. Yeah, well, it is a massive three points for Preston, isn't it, Jimmy? Um, against your rivals, a fellow playoff contender, mm. and had you lost, then there's probably an argument to be made that your playoff chase could have been over, but this still gives you a fighting chance. Do you fancy yourselves to get in the top six this season? No, I'll be honest with you, Ryan, I don't. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think there's the six teams that are in the playoffs now, I think it's it's done for me. Um, those six teams I mean there's a six point gap to seventh already I think it's really tight I mean if we'd lost on Friday night we'd be sitting 15th now mm. I mean that's how tight this league is we're 11th I think there's what three points between seventh and 15th now it, that's just the championship this season I think there's a lot of teams that are very much a similar standard uh, you know for us we're, we've got a bottom six budget and we've consistently punched above our weight under Alex Neal and he deserves a lot of credit for that, to be honest, because I don't think we'd be where we are now without the manager in charge. Well, Jimmy, thanks for now. We'll come back to you a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But for me and Justin, we are now going to take you, listener, on a trip around the grounds. And we shall begin at the Cardiff City Stadium, where Cardiff won again. They beat Coventry 3-1 to make it three wins in three. Tom Phillips is from the Cardiff podcast View from the Ninian. Mick McCarthy has got your boys playing, can Tom? He really has. Um, it's a completely new side. They're five unbeaten now, and there's this feel-good factor around the club, and you know that's what he does well. He's put his arm around certain players in our squad, the likes of Josh Murphy, and he's just getting the best out of them. And our players are playing with a smile on their faces, and we're going into games now expecting results, which we really weren't a month or so ago. Um, Kiefer Moore is on absolute fire again. He scored another couple, and yeah, we're just looking really, really good at the moment. It's, We've gone from looking like we're in a relegation scrap to being one one place off the playoffs. It's madness, really. Yeah, and it's unbelievable that we're even considering that, really, because I remember when Mick got appointed, we put out a poll saying, can Cardiff still get in the playoffs this season? People were taking the piss, Frank, quite frankly, uh, saying absolutely no chance. But here we are, the form that you're in at the moment, you must fancy yourselves, mustn't you? Yeah, I was one of those people taking the piss. I just didn't think we were going to be anywhere near the playoffs. And... I think, look, we've benefited from teams around us really slipping up. You know, we always like to see Bristol City getting thumped. You know, Middlesbrough have had a dip in form. Stoke have had a dip in form. You know, Bournemouth have really dropped off. And, 
Yeah, we fancy our chances at the moment. We've got two winnable games coming up against Luton and um, Preston, and then we're playing Bournemouth. So I know there's an air of confidence. I, I still think we'll just miss out. I don't think we'll get there, but there's just this new excitement now and a genuine belief that Mick, Mick's got us playing. No, nobody thought we wanted him in. You know, We were looking at long-term appointments like Bellamy and stuff, but I tell you what, he's winning us round at the moment. Yeah, and I, st- I know we've still got this season to deal with, but the way he's going at the moment, would you give Mick McCarthy the job next season? Yes, it's a very real option, isn't it? Like, if we carry on on this run and we do find ourselves in the playoffs, you can't not give it to him, really. Um, we spoke about long-term appointments and stuff, but if we're winning games, our fans are going to be one round. We saw that with Warnock when he came in. It was, it was the same sort of approach. People thinking, you know, this is a very short-term appointment. But then we got promoted and, and he stuck around for a few years. So you can see the same sort of thing happening again. We're, we're playing some decent stuff, very direct football at the moment, but some decent stuff and we're winning games. So, like I said, if we carry on on this run, then yeah, he'll definitely have the job come the end of the season. I think the fans would be happy with that. Yeah, absolutely right, Tom. Cheers for that. Justin, what Big Mick is doing is simply remarkable, isn't it? Simply remarkable. It's beautiful. It's it's typical Big Mick coming in at a club and getting the best out of them. We saw what happened to Ipswich when he left. I mean, we saw sort of what happened to Wolves when he left as well. You know, clubs clubs are worse for it. Um, he's a good manager. He's a very very good manager and um, one that I think is criminally underrated at this level. And you know, he's got this Cardiff team playing how they should have been playing all season. It, it, his run at the moment as well, he's the first manager since Lenny Lawrence in 2002 to be unbeaten in his first five games as Cardiff manager. Good stat. Very good stat. Great stat. He hasn't really changed that much, I don't think. I think the style no. of football is similar. The team is similar. It seems like what he's done is just say to the players, listen, you are a very good squad. As long as you work harder than the other team, then your quality will shine through in the results. And that's what's happening. The players seem confident again. And are going into games thinking they're going to win. It sounds like a simple thing to do, but as a manager, I think it's actually quite a difficult thing to master. But Mick McCarthy is one of the best around at doing that. I completely agree with you. I think he is criminally underrated. He's taken a bang average Ipswich team and made them a capable of being mid-table. He's taken a very good Cardiff side and dragged them from bottom half to a place outside the playoffs. The man's brilliant. Even if they don't finish in the top six, then he deserves so much praise for the job he's done. I mean, when I look at the table, it is unbelievable that they are just a place outside the top six. We always say, don't we, just one consistent run of form in this league and suddenly you go flying up the league, especially this season when teams in the middle are really lacking consistency. Uh, but going back to the game, Coventry were very unlucky. They were actually the better team, just very wasteful with it, really, weren't they? It's that naivety that affected them in the first sort of quarter of the season. It just feels like it's seeping in. And the goals they conceded as well, they really really showcase that naivety. The second goal was a bit, a bit of chaos, really. Um, and then Keith Moore was unmarked and is able to side it into an empty net. And then the third goal was just stand over the free kick. We do that on a Sunday morning. Just stand over the free kick. Don't allow them to take it quickly. Um and they did, and they scored. They scored from it. As I say, it's just naivety, and they came up against an experienced Cardiff team in in, in places. And it was always going to be a difficult one, but when you gift goals, it's just not ideal. 
Yeah, they were sloppy at the back and didn't take the chances. The Sky Blue Hub on Twitter said Coventry were blunt. It must be a very frustrating result for Mark Robbins because they needed to get a result here, really. Uh, They were quite fortunate that results elsewhere largely went their way, but the table doesn't make for good reading. A few weeks ago, they were 16th and seemingly moving away from the relegation battle, but one win in five has meant they've been dragged back in. They're three points above the bottom three and teams around them have games in hand. So that's not good. However, if you think that's bad, wait until you hear the next three games. Norwich, Brentford and Swansea. (laughs) Literally (laughs) the three worst games possible. So with that being said, Coventry suddenly look like they're in a bit of trouble, Justin. And I think when you consider that um, Derby, uh, Forest, teams, uh, even Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday, they're keeping clean sheets. They are defending rather well compared to the teams like Coventry who have started to let, let in goals again. Yeah, it's 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 taken quite a turn in that three games. I'm sorry. <laughs> that horrendous. is horrible. Isn't it? <laughs> it's so horrible. Uh, another team in a bit of trouble is Huddersfield. They were turning up against Wickham and lost 3-2 to Wickham. Matt Shaw is from the Huddersfield podcast and he takes that chance. At 2-0 up, you would, have, you would really have expected Huddersfield Town to, to go on and and win the game uh, and maybe Wickham to fold especially given the form that Wickham were in coming into the game but you know credit to Wickham they didn't and sadly Huddersfield Town folded from 2-0 up at home to Wickham and when you let that sink in it's it's a pretty unforgivable performance really um, over the last three seasons we have seen some absolutely honking disgraceful performances uh, from Huddersfield Town but that I'm afraid was right up there uh, as probably the worst 45 minutes in the second half that we've seen, or maybe I've seen in, in nigh on 30 years. It's a pretty unforgivable performance from Huddersfield. Yeah, Matt, you've picked up just two points in seven games since the turn of the year. What the hell has gone wrong? Several things, Ryan. Uh, losing Josh Caroma has really hurt us in attack, um, and without him we've looked a little bit one-dimensional at times. And further to him... Being injured every game for the last two months, our relatively small senior squad uh, are nursing 10-plus injuries a game. Uh, further to this, the, the tactical approach of Carlos Corbrand's been worked out, I think, by most championship analysts. And with the rest of the squad that he's got available, he's really struggled to change things and alter uh, the tactical approach that he's got. Uh, defensively, every player seems to have bottomed out in terms of form. Um we needed two or three players of quality as well in the January window to help evolve that squad. Uh, we brought in Dwayne Holmes, who I think will prove to be a good signing for us. But the rest of them were, were punts on potential or not really up to what we need for the here and now. Yeah, well, this is a simple question for you, Matt. How worried are you about going down this season? I don't see how things change at the moment, Ryan, and, and that's the worry. There's there's a tough run coming and something needs to change because the likes of Karoma, Eiting and Schindler uh, players that we've really missed are, are still months away from returning uh, to the side so perhaps Carlos needs to park his ideals for a month or so and, and add a pragmatic string to his bow perhaps uh, but ultimately it's looking like we'll need to rely on three teams being worse than us at the end of the season but in terms of championship form we're, we're down there rock bottom on our own as the worst side in the league by a stretch at the minute uh, we need to win a game and quickly whether it's through look, quality, it doesn't really matter. It's just to help with confidence. If that happens, then hopefully things turn. But if we don't win over the next few games, then things will start to become incredibly toxic. And that's the last thing that we need. Cheers, Matt. Yeah, Justin, I think Matt did a very good job of summing up how much of a shambles 
Huddersfield have been recently. But this result, and I mean this with the greatest of respect to Wickham, is appalling, really, isn't it? Well, Huddersfield were 2-0 up as well. It's it's all about context. And I like Wickham. And they, they, they pulled it back to 2-2 against Brentford. But they then obviously got panned 7-2. Um, but yeah, this, this was just one of those days that happens far too regularly for Huddersfield where they literally give teams chances. Um, I think it's the penalty. Keo allows Ikpiasu to run past him and then hog fouls him. Two experienced players letting that happen is not good enough. No, not at all. The Devon Terrier on Twitter called the performance abject. Wiggles called it embarrassing. Two points from seven games since the turn of the year and it's a run of form that feels very similar to Hull from last season, doesn't it? They're dropping like a stone and unless something changes, then they're in massive danger of going down. But what a second half from Wickham, Justin. What a second half. You cannot accuse this Wickham side of not having heart. We won't talk about what it means for their survival chances. There's a long way to go before we could start having that conversation again. But despite Wickham being so rock bottom, their performances this season haven't been as disastrous as the table suggests, have they? I can only think of a handful of games where they've been distantly second best and this was one of those games where the result has gone their way as well yeah there are there are periods in the season where they've been shafted a little bit with decisions at key points in the game that will either get them back into the game or oppositions profited from those decisions they haven't been second best in a lot of games as you say they have been a good side and one thing that this team has a lot of you know they lack quality what they have a lot of is character which a lot of teams don't Teams, you know, Wickham for a long time have been labelled underdogs. You know, they 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 thrive from it, which is you know starting to become a cliche. But they do; they are a team that that does that, and they do have some quality players in their team. You look at Mamete, Kashke, and Nick Piazza, who are three good players, I think, at this level, um, and and perhaps they deserve another shot at the championship because you know Mamete and Nick Piazza, for example, I don't think have been available for large periods of the of the season. Yeah, they they have got a couple of good players who I imagine, should Wickham go down, will have another chance at the championship next season. Um, after the game, Gareth Ainsworth was saying he's really proud of the boys and they're not giving up just yet. I love him. He, he makes me want to play for them. Uh, here's a side who I wouldn't want to play for at the moment. Birmingham City. They lost 1-0 to Luton with Dan Potts getting the goal. We'll chat about Blues in a sec. But for Luton, it means they're 14th and sitting quite comfortably in mid-table. Ian Robertson is from We Are Luton Town. Ian, what did you make of the game? It was actually a really poor game, which was dictated mainly due to the state of Birmingham's pitch, which wasn't allowed any fluid play along the floor. Most of our chances were created through long balls or set plays, so um, it was really hard to try and gain any forward momentum in the game due to that fact really um, but Birmingham were pretty poor we should have taken more chances from the ones that we created yeah you've been in a patchy run of form recently which has led you looking over your shoulder a bit but this victory quashes any fear of you getting dragged into a relegation battle doesn't it there was a few murmurs scattered around on social media about looking over our shoulder but um, in reality I think we've we've shown enough to to show that we're a, a good solid mid-table team this year of course it's a championship and anything could happen but I think we're looking up rather than down and you know always try to give a, a balanced view but that's how it's looking at the minute 
Yeah, Luton are sat very comfortably in mid-table now. And considering at the start of the season we were chatting and you were worried about Luton going down this season. And when you take that into account, it's a pretty amazing achievement being sat in mid-table right now, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that success is in no short part to the um, to the defence, really. The, the free transfer of Tom Lockyer, who's been really, really good at the back, really solid. We talked about him yesterday on our channel. And Sonny Bradley has really, really come into his own. He's a really good, solid championship centre-back now. They've both done really, really well. Um, we've struggled to score as many as we did last season, though, so far. So we're, we're creating the chances, we're just not putting them away. So, you know, I think that was our sixth 1-0 win. Um, it's crazy, really. Uh, we need to be scoring more, but hopefully the reinforcements that we've brought in in the January transfer window will uh, will help us with that. Cheers, Ian. Yeah, Justin, I think the biggest compliment you can pay to Luton here is that they should have won this game by more. Well, <clears throat> there's been a lot of uh, away games for Luton where they've won and they've they've failed to sort of get the second goal. Um, I think uh, in the last nine away wins, actually, have, they've yielded a clean sheet in them, which is which is a positive. But they've all been by by one goal to nil, apart from one, which was two goals to nil. Um, so there's, I guess there's always that worry that a team can be allowed back into the game, especially a team with a bit more quality. But as you say, if Luton become a more clinical side, then there's there's nothing stopping them reaching the sort of upper echelons of twelfth, um, <laughs> you know, upper mid table, um, because I think that that next step is is probably a bit 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 far for them. Yeah, I mean, kind of carrying on from what I was just saying with Ian, I'm afraid for Luton fans, I can't see us talking about them in too much depth for the rest of the season, just because they're quite comfortably mid table, and it's hard to see them troubling either end of the table but if we take a step back for a second Justin the fact that we're saying that about this Luton side is pretty remarkable really and it's got nothing to do with the size of the club or what have you it's because of the budget and the amount of money that's been used to assemble this squad they must have one of the smallest budgets in the league maybe even the smallest and here they are mid-table it's astonishing and everyone at the club deserves a massive amount of praise for that, really. You won't hear many other media outlets giving them the praise that they deserve because the players, Nathan Jones, uh, the recruitment team, the club hierarchy, all of them deserve a huge round of applause for this achievement because getting this Luton side into mid-table is a massive, massive achievement. Um, Birmingham City, this game kind of sums up them at the moment because... They were awful, really, weren't they? Really, really bad. And they're becoming a bit of a shambles right now, aren't they? I mean, as a supporter, I can imagine how they're feeling. You just want to run headfirst into a wall and just forget everything. Honestly, it's just it just makes you feel like that. It's that enraging and frustrating that it'll push you to that sort of scenario. The, the, the goal that Luton scored, Dan Potts, again... No disrespect to him. Not a goal scorer. Mm. Um, it, it's just chaotic defending. It's 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 terrible defending. It was a lot like the Billing goal against Bournemouth last week, where he was left unmarked at the back post. There are experienced players in this Birmingham City team, and they're not doing their jobs. It's as simple as that. We can we can lay blame at Karanka all we want. There is an issue there because a attacking pattern of play doesn't exist. But defensively, when you're giving teams goals like Birmingham City are. And they're literally giving teams goals. What can you say? I'm almost lost for words at how bad the defending is from a team that should be 
doing better under Karanka defensively. I've never experienced being so annoyed with a football team that I've wanted to run headfirst into a wall, but I imagine that must be pretty frustrated if that's the case. Uh, the discombobulated one on Twitter called the performance pathetic. As it stands, they're only a point from safety, but most of the teams around them have games in hand, which could leave Birmingham staring down the barrel very soon. Um, just kind of going on from what you were saying, the club is a mess. From top to bottom, isn't it? I remember at the start of the season, I said Birmingham's recruitment in the summer was poor and fans were criticising me about that. I wonder mm-hmm. what they're saying now. I feel sorry for Ita Karanka with the players he's got. However, I don't think he's completely innocent because his negative yeah. tactics and bizarre team selections haven't helped things. But the person who has got to take most of the blame is the club chief exec, Dong Ren. Now, Birmingham fans have been calling for his head for quite some time, but recently it's been massively amped up to the point where something needs to change. He is destroying the club. There's no two ways about it. Uh, It's not something that's just happened overnight, but the way the club's been run for a number of years now, they seem destined to be in League One at some point, whether it's this season or the next, because things aren't going to get better while he's in charge. Obviously, him resigning isn't going to save Birmingham from relegation this season, but the change at the club has to come from the top, starting with him going, and then they need to rip up all the plans and just start again, I think. Um, And it might happen with them being in League One at the rate things are going. Absolutely. One one really good example of that working is Reading. They made quite a few changes upstairs in the summer, um, and they seem to have got the football structure right. Um, Getting that right helps a lot of teams and Birmingham City are one of those Derby County Nottingham Forest Sheffield Wednesday they're all teams that would benefit from a restructure um, behind the scenes because unfortunately they lay down the the plans um, and if it doesn't go to plan it's always the manager and the players that get the blame but you know these these people bring these players in and and set the philosophy etc etc yeah they need to hit the restart button up St Andrews, don't they? Badly. Let's head to Pride Park, where Derby picked up a massive 2-1 win over Middlesbrough, which sees them climb out of the bottom three. But for Borough, it's one point from their last five games. A really poor run of form for the Neil Warnock's boys. Joining us now is Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. And this was a really poor performance, wasn't it, Johnny? You can say that again. Uh, it wasn't a great game for Bora, but it wasn't a great game in general, really. I don't think there was much quality from both sides. Um, but credit to Wayne Rooney and his, and his team. I thought they had a, a very good tactical performance and made things really difficult for Bora to, to get things into the striker or get things out wide. Um, I thought they uh, were very compact and they made things difficult for us. But it just shows that Millsborough really bang out of form at the minute, miss some, missing some key players too. And it just seems to be a little bit grim at the minute, uh, given that the start of the season was so positive. We're in a bit of we're, we're in a bad run of form at the moment. Yeah, the poor run of form has players missing been the main contributing factor then. Uh, that's the easy answer, yeah. Uh, but I think if you look at the bigger picture of it, the last twenty games, Borough have lost eleven of those, uh, lost seven out of the last ten. We've lost four out of five against the bottom five. So, you know that. The stats don't lie and we've not been good enough in those games. So you can argue that Bora have been pretty much found out, to be honest. Uh, you know, we have added quality on the wings, but they do match, they do lack uh, match fitness. But it just seems to be a bad run of form. A lot of teams go through it. I think we'll get past it. 
and hopefully we should uh, we should kick back on again. But yeah, it's quite difficult now, especially uh, recording the podcast with it because we're not picking up the results that we need to. And then with the defence as well, at the start of the season, it was like a force field, but now you seem to be leaking goals. What What's changed? It's a hard one. You know, like I said, I guess just mentioned there, I think teams have found us out a little bit. I think when you play Middlesbrough now, if, you, if you're compact... Uh, within the midfield and make things difficult for us to create anything then we are there for the taking um, you know having Dale Fry be out he's been instrumental this season uh, for us defensively and we're a mess without him uh, but you can't always rely on him I think the one big change that Warnock needs to potentially look at is maybe moving back to a three at the back uh, the three at the back was really helpful for us at the start of the season we looked well balanced and we were able to create chances off the back of that as well um, so maybe we revert back to the three is something that we might have to look back to in, in the next couple of games Cheers Johnny yeah but we're going through a bit of a sticky patch right now aren't they Justin? Absolutely um, I think Neil Warnock said after the game he could have played in goal for Derby and put in a 6 out of 10 performance which is as damning statement as, you, as a team you'll find you know, the man's 72 and he reckons he could have put a shift in um, yeah they were so they were so poor going forward which is a huge surprise given how dangerous they looked against Brentford last week you know we said that if it wasn't for David Rea it could have been 4-1 to, to Borough had had the look been been um, been with them but it's three wins in the last 10 it's 16 goals conceded in that time and for me the playoffs are starting to look a bit of a stretch well, I mean, they're still not far off, are they? Just because no. of Bournemouth's really poor form. But as we were saying in midweek, if Borough managed to put together just a couple of results, then even though they're not in the greatest of forms right now, they would have managed to gain some sort of traction on Bournemouth. But it's just not happened. Jimmy on Twitter said the performance was lacklustre. Daniel called it garbage. Rob said it was dismal. So not many positives uh, from a uh, Middlesbrough perspective. But for Derby, there is no underselling how massive a win this is. Uh, Results went their way as well. Um, But for me, it shows they're capable of winning without Christian Bielik, which, as I've (laughs) said many times over the past few shows, has been my main concern with Derby going forwards. Callum on Twitter said the performance was industrious. Ben called it hard-fought. Nigel labelled it class. Um, They didn't create many chances in the game, but what a goal from Colin Kazim Richards, Justin. 30-yard screamer, and it crashed in off the crossbar, which automatically makes a goal three times as good. It was absolutely magical, wasn't it? It was. I I read a tweet. It sort of broke down the speed of the shot. I think it was like 60 miles per hour, metres per hour. I'm not... a um, speedometer, yeah, a speedometer <laughs> or a physics physics guru, so I don't know that whether it's correct, but he got some power behind it, and um, his strike partner Lee Gregory goal and assist on his debut. What, what a way to get going! Yeah, uh, Derby were also solid defensively. They restricted mm-hmm. Borough to next to nothing. Um, dare I say, Wayne Rooney out tactics Neil Warnock? Uh, I don't know about that, but it was a really professional performance from the Rams, wasn't it? It was, and the formation surprised me. I mean, I, I was calling for a, a three-three at the back. Um, he went four-four-two, as as the the, the one tweet, one word of tweets suggested. It was industrious and hard-fought, and it was it was certainly a grafters eleven. Uh, grafters eleven when you've got like Lee Gregory, Colin Seam, Richards up front, and then you've got Waggle on the right, Knight and Chinny in the middle. It's a team that works hard. Yeah, they've got Wickham in midweek, which is a must-win game. But if they do win that, then the table from a Derby perspective, looks quite tidy. Um, 
it's amazing, isn't it, how just a couple of wins and instantly everything seems all right again at the bottom of the table. Uh, Derby, of course, were in the... Uh, relegation zone heading into this weekend let's have a break Justin after that we're going to talk about one hell of a spanking at Vicarage Road I tell you what there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt I've got loads of them a Juventus shirt Marseille shirt even an Antalya sport shirt one of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that of course includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a Classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got track suits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the second tier podcast now. Where do we start with this game, Justin? Watford 6, Bristol City 0. Let's talk Watford first because they were quite simply spellbinding, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, if you score six goals, I don't think we. Oh, I mean, we saw Brentford put seven past Wickham, but yeah, it was such a one-sided display. Um, and, and I will say this: I thought the first three goals were quite fortunate, um, but what they did after that was just ridiculous. And you know, I thought this would be a close game, but Watford put Bristol City to the sword, and I think it's all down to putting Will Hughes in the team. Yeah, oh, I completely agree. He was. I mean, loads of players shined for Watford on this occasion. But for me, he was the one who really stood out. Will Hughes in the middle of the park. If Watford really want to go up this season, then I think one of the best things they can do is make Will Hughes at the centre of everything. Uh, Because he is just a terrific, terrific player. He's had his troubles with injuries this season. But now that he's fully fit, if I was Isco Munoz, I'd be thinking I need to get Will Hughes on the ball as much as possible because you don't have many more talented players in the championship than him. Uh, that's not a particularly controversial thing for me to say because we've known for years now how talented a boy he is. <laughs> uh, it just surprises me that a Premier League club hasn't come in from him. But while Watford have got him, they need to use him as much as possible, don't they? Absolutely. And I think it's worth pointing out that taking Deeney and Gray out also helped. They weren't playing balls in behind for Gray. Or, or into Dean's chest and the stats back that up and that's also coincides with the quality that Will Hughes brings to a team they played 177 more short ground passes in this game compared to last week um, which tells you they were playing through the midfield rather than over it it's it's exactly what it's needed and we've seen how devastating they can be when they have players like Shao Pedro in the side and obviously Will Hughes as well yeah, well, you mentioned they dropped Deeney and Gray. That's because they went with a 4-3-3 um, with natural wingers and everything just seemed to click. Recently, they have played a 4-4-2 and it looked rigid, just wasn't working. But playing with the natural wingers in Ken Seema and uh, Ismail Assar just gave them licence to really attack Bristol City. And boy, did they attack. Uh, João <laughs> Pedro up front, as you mentioned, was terrific. Uh, didn't score which is odd for a striker in a 6-0 win. But either way, he played really, really well. Um, listen, we could spend a good half an hour talking about how good Watford were here. The scoreline speaks for itself, and you could maybe argue that they could have scored more. Uh, but as good as the scoreline is from a Watford perspective, it says a lot about Bristol City's performance because I think you'll do well to see a poorer performance than that this season. I'd say this was the worst performance of the season by a team. Um 
I genuinely think Watford could have got more, as I say. And we can't even say Bristol City were good going forwards because they weren't. They managed one shot on target and that was in the 82nd minute. It was really, really bad. It's been really bad for a while, I think. Um, and this is this is sort of the, the very top of the tree. Um, it feels like they're at a crossroads now. Um, I think the talent that they've that they had that they've sold they don't have that anymore so it's reinvested in the squad it's going to be much harder to come by um, and just bringing in some top level stats they can see the second most amount of shots in the league second to Wickham who are bottom uh, and as for the attack <laughs> they take the least amount of shots in the league the average is eight shots per game it's a huge worry 11 points is not a big gap ahead of re- ahead of the relegation zone uh, and with those stats in mind they've got one of the worst away records in the league Four defeats on the spin. It's a concern that they can be dragged into a relegation battle. It is a real concern, especially when you bring in the fact that Hull did exactly the same thing last season. I tell you what, I, I'm i not sure I'd go as far to say in a relegation battle, but at the same time, I struggle to dispute it. Uh, Rich on Twitter called the performance shameful. KH said it was apocalyptic which is quite strong. (laughs) (laughs) Adam said it was Sunday league standard. Kieran said it was shambolic. Uh, Four straight losses now for Bristol City. Seven straight losses away from home. Our prediction of them sliding down the table, Justin, is coming true. I'm sorry to say. Uh, You won't be surprised to hear that with that form and losing 6-0, Dean Holden's under pressure. Bristol City fans want him out. What do you think? He's on a tightrope. They're, they're sinking far too quickly and it's it never got this bad under Lee Johnson um, so perhaps I know injuries haven't helped but it's not an excuse to be defending as bad as they are as I said the amount of shots they're conceding it, it, that's why I think they're getting sucked into it a, a relegation bowl is they just concede too many chances I'm in two minds really because on one hand it is hard to defend the bloke when the form is this bad They've been battered 6-0 and they've not particularly played that well all season. Um, However, the injury crisis is horrendous and I do have sympathy for Dean Holden in that respect because that's what, for me, it's cost them getting in the playoffs this season. I don't think it's down to poor management or anything like that. Any team who has this many injuries is going to struggle and I don't think sacking Dean Holden is going to solve anything. I can see them continue to slide down the table but whatever the case, for me, I think they should stick with Holden and just start preparing for next season. You only have to look at the start of this season to see what he is capable of with a fully fit squad. Um, let's move on. There was a shock on Sunday afternoon, Justin, as Brentford lost 2-0 to Barnsley. Brentford were unbeaten in 22 going into this game, uh, while Barnsley were without a win in five league games. And the amazing thing here is that Barnsley were much the better side, Justin. They were. They were. And... Um when things come together I mean they played well in midweek against Chelsea and it's for me Barnsley have never performed poorly when they've been on the other end of a defeat they've always put the performances in and that continuity of of, um, levels that they've got is what's putting them in these positions you can't have an off day against Brentford and I don't I think if you have an off day against Barnsley they'll punish you and Brentford had an off day and Barnsley punished them yeah I'm happy to see Barnsley finally get a positive result after what was a sticky run of form. They earned plenty of fans in midweek after how they played against Chelsea and hopefully this is the start of them getting back to the side that we were ranting and raving about earlier in the season because they're a very good side under Valerie and Ishmael. He's working wonders there. Interesting thing is, Corley Woodrow didn't start. 
not sure if it was because of injury or anything like that, but he came on in the second half and they were already 2-0 up at that point. So it shows that they're capable of performing without him and he's arguably their best player. Um, it was a great performance by Barnsley, a fantastic result and hopefully we start to see them put together a string of results and maybe challenge for the playoffs once again. I think for Brentford, they just weren't at the races. It was really poor from them. Uh, for Thomas Frank, he'll be hoping it was just a blip, won't he? Well, it's the first defeat in 22 games, as you say. Yeah. You know, I think I was, I was going to mention it last week about, you know, they're going to have bumps along the way. They're going to lose games. It's going to be very difficult for them to, you know, go the rest of the season unbeaten. So there are going to be these days when you're coming up against a Barnsley side who are relentless as they are, as fit as they are. You know, it's it's at least they didn't lose to a, um, a promotion rival. You know, they've lost to a, a very good Barnsley team who were way, way, way below them. This would have been a far more damaging defeat had it been against Reading, for example, or Norwich, etc., etc. Yeah, well, we've seen plenty of teams come up against Brentford this season and usually, I'd say eight times out of ten, they sit back, don't they? And Brentford yeah. seem to have got round that and know how to punish teams now who do that. But here we have Barnsley who are getting in the faces and have pulled off a win. So it'll be interesting to see if um, teams, when they come up against Brentford in the future, look at this and say, right, this is how you take on this Brentford side uh, but Brentford's loss meant Norwich went back top with a 4-1 win over Stoke Daniel Farker's boys hadn't won in their last three league games before this and hadn't even scored in them so this was a return to normality for the Canaries Justin definitely and if they'd have um, not scored in this game it'd have been the longest goalless run since 2007 which correct me if I'm wrong they think they were relegated that season um, so it was. I imagine there was a bit of pressure to get to get into the game, but the way they played was was brilliant. The the Cantwell goal was fantastic. Mm. It was what we've been missing from Cantwell for a, for a while. Um, uh, you know, he really showed his quality, and then, and then you've got Buendia, who is just ridiculously good. The the assist for Pukey um, was 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 fantastic as well for the second goal. Yeah, they were massively helped by him coming back from suspension, weren't they? Because he was simply unbelievable. It may even be the best performance he's put in this season and he's put in some bloody good performances this season. Um, I do wonder where they'd be without him as well because I'm not sure they'd be fighting for more automatic promotion if they didn't have him all season. But fair enough, Norwich were amazing here, weren't they? It's probably their best performance of the season as a whole, actually. Uh, they could have scored more. This was Farkable at its very best and it's a pleasure to see. Stoke had a few chances in fairness, but their best chances came from Norwich players passing the ball to them. Uh, the goal came from a crossfield pass, which fell straight to Nick Powell. And then there was also a moment where, I think it was Stephen Fletcher, was jogging back um, for Stoke after trying to close yeah. down the keeper. Kenny McLean passes straight to him, presumably just not seeing him. It was so weird. Um, but it was very funny to watch as well. Uh, another moment that caught my attention was Oliver Skip getting knees in the head. And when he got up, he was so obviously out of it. The lights were on, but there was no one home. It, it was kind of like when you're drunk and you're trying to convince someone who's sober, like a bouncer or something like that, that you're not drunk. Um, I assume everyone's been in that position. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Oliver Skip was dazed. He is fine now, but that was... Um, a really scary moment for a sec. Uh, but yeah, Norwich back on top, Justin. It is starting to look like it's a battle between the top three to finish in the top two now, isn't it? Yeah, I've sort of been waiting for this where 
the teams get closer together and um, position wise and points wise and we start to see who has really got <laughs> the biggest balls essentially who's got the the, the most metal and um yeah, it's going to be a very interesting few few weeks. You know, Brentford have got to bounce back from defeats. Norwich have got to pick up some momentum, and Swansea have just got to do what they've been doing all season. Well, Swansea have got games in hand as well, and if they manage to win both their games in hand, then they go top. So um, it's one hell of a race, and it's uh, interesting for us from a championship perspective because we've actually got an automatic promotion race. Uh, I think for Stoke, if you want a perfect example of how inconsistent. The teams in mid-table have been over the past couple of months. Stoke haven't won this year, Justin. They haven't won in 13 <laughs> games, yet they're still 10th. <clears throat> How does that make sense? Uh, but the form is getting a bit concerning, isn't it? It's been a while, as you say, since they won, you know, just before the new year. it's. I want to say if, if Tyrese Campbell didn't get injured, things would be a bit different. And again, I think the January recruitment, they needed to bring in a striker. They didn't. They let Lee Gregory go out to Derby, which again was a big surprise. Even Stoke fans were a little bit surprised by it. So there's some 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 interesting decisions made, but I imagine it's all done with the future in mind. Perhaps they think the playoffs is a bit of a stretch this season. They're building for something a little bit more, but I just thought at one point Stoke could have been challenging quite comfortably in that top six. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating isn't it? because Tyrese Campbell's injury, if that hadn't have happened, then who knows where Stoke would have been this season. They are lacking a bit of flair at the moment, aren't they? But I say that, they've got Rabi Matondo on the bench, but he's been dropped for some reason. And they've got Jack Clark, who, as we've spoken about before, we, we've never been completely sold on, have we? Mm-hmm. So that's definitely what they're missing. Um, and just some cutting edge, because this form... Uh, it's not going to lead to anything too troubling, I imagine. But you'd expect more considering how they started the season and how they were looking around Christmas time when they were playing really, really well. Uh, Reading lost their second game in a row after getting beat 2-1 by Millwall. This game featured one of the strangest goals I have ever seen in my life. For anyone who's not seen it, Millwall's goalkeeper, Bartosz Bielkowski, throws the ball out about 40 yards or so to Sean Williams, I think it was. He miscontrols it and then Alpha Semedo just hits it first time and he manages to catch out Bielkowski and it goes in. I've never seen anything like it before. Uh, it didn't mean much in the end because Millwall won, but Reading will be wondering how they came out of this with nothing, won't they, Justin? They will. Uh, and as you say, it's one of the strangest goals you'll see. Uh, he kicks it through the legs of Williams as yeah. well. Like his le- his leg goes, his kicking leg goes through in between Will- Sean Williams' legs. Uh, it just, I have so many questions. Did he mean it, etc.? Um, but yeah, it's, it is frustrating for Reading. I think perhaps they, they, they maybe just ran out of steam. It was a big effort in midweek against, against Brentford. Um, and, you know, they've come up against a Millwall side that is starting to generate some form. So it's going to be hard for them. Uh, and as well as that, yeah, they've missed a lot of chances. I, I think it was Elise in the first half played a, oh, what, one oh, of yeah. the best passes I've seen of the season. To, I think it was Lucas Schau. Was yeah. it Lucas Schau? Yeah. And um, yeah, Biakowski tips it around the post. And it's just those fine, uh, th- those moments um, that, you know, it's, it's the difference between winning a game. They go 2 0 up, I think they, they run away with it. Yeah, Lucas on Twitter said the performance was awful. I think that's a bit strong because, as I say, Reading had plenty of chances some massive mm-hmm. chances um, but just didn't take them Paunovic got a bit of criticism after the game for his team selection and substitutions uh, two straight losses not enough to make us press the panic button just yet Justin but um, 
they have got Bristol City midweek, so that should solve everything. <laughs> Millwall's form is interesting because this is their second win in a row. And coming up, they've got Birmingham and Wickham. So we could be in a situation, Justin, where come the end, well, this time next week, actually, uh, should they win both those games, they could be back in the playoff race, you know. Just want to keep an eye on it for the next week or so. Yeah, it's, it's such as the the tightness in in the mid in, in mid table. Um, it's difficult to see them getting back into it, but you know I, I don't think they were that good against uh, Reading. Uh, it was a good comeback. Uh, you know, and one of the criticisms I've had is them turning games around. Uh, you know, I was, I was talking about Reading being probably a bit tired. That the two players you don't want to come up against when you're a bit knackered is is Matt Smith, who's going to batter you, <laughs> uh, and Mason Bennett, who's going to stretch the game. He's very quick and he's very good at doing that. Um, but it's a really good decision to, to obviously for, for out to bring them both on. But them getting into the playoffs, I don't know. I'm just looking at the form now, and I'm, I'm it's it's a good run of form. Six points over the next week. I still think it's too far. Well, it goes back to what we were saying. If you manage to put a string of results together, and then suddenly you go flying up the table, uh, not sure they'll get in the playoffs this season because they've been lacking um, something all season, haven't they? But um, they could definitely contend for it in the final few weeks of the season final game of the weekend is Forest v Bournemouth that finished 0-0 interesting stat for you Justin each of the early Saturday kickoffs in the championship have been 0-0 for the past three weeks and let me tell you all of them have been terrible 0-0s as well <laughs> but it was a good point for Forest, wasn't it one loss in 11 games now Davo on Twitter called the performance solid Neil said it was assured you need those performances when you're just wanting to put points on the board and you come up against a Bournemouth team who we know they're dripping with quality uh, I think Chris Hewitt not making any substitutions as well gives you the notion that he was there to see the game out but I did think they were the better side I thought they, they had the better chances um, well the chances were scarce but they had the better ones um, yeah. so I thought if any, if any team was going to win this it was Forrest there were times where Knockout would pick the ball up as well and he'd come inside and Cyrus Christie made a really good run I think it was, he did it twice um, but Knockart decided to shoot. Get your head out your ass and look up. I hate. <laughs> I, I've played fullback a lot and I hate it. I hate it, especially when you bust a bollock to get up there. <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, Forrest had the best chance um, was when there was a corner, wasn't there? And Ben Pearson um, stopped it on the line. Then it's hit Begovich and just somehow not gone in. Uh, what did you make of the game from a Bournemouth perspective? I was really, really disappointed. Um, much to the point I was gesticulating quite a lot on my sofa because they've got so much talent but there's a zero movement Lerma oh, the pace of the game as well was awful from Bomber's perspective they were just moving the ball so slowly um, whenever Adam Smith or Rico would get the ball in the wide areas they were isolated I'm not having a go at Woodgate here but that's a level of coaching in your pattern of play going forward that that needs to improve. They had no shots on target as well. They're a good side defensively, Forest are, but when you've got a team like Bournemouth, you expect to at least make a like just hit it straight down the middle. Samba saves it. That's a shot on target. Didn't even do that. It was just a really poor performance. Yeah, it was really poor. Um, but we'll see if it gets better once they get a new manager, Justin, which we'll discuss now in the news. It's time for the news. These are all your main headlines from the past week. The Athletic say Bournemouth have interviewed three candidates for the manager's job. Patrick Vieira, 
John Terry and former Huddersfield boss David Wagner. Uh, Sky Sports have since said John Terry is no longer being considered for the role and Bournemouth are close to making an appointment. So you'd assume it's either Vieira or Wagner. Uh, You're squinting, Justin. I'd stay well away from both of them. Um, Yeah, David Wagner for me. He got Huddersfield up, which was a great achievement, but he did it with a minus one goal difference, um, which I think is the only time it's happened in the playoffs. They they weren't a very good team going forward, and we're seeing we well, we saw especially last season how much they regressed. Patrick Vieira, um, I actually nearly put him in my article for the Bournemouth managers, um, you know, top five alternative picks for Bournemouth manager, and uh, I took him out because I thought his stats were really bad. His points per game is is not very good, um, and it wasn't a, a it wasn't a very good Nice side he was in charge of, but they should have been doing a lot better than than what them what they, they were doing essentially yeah he's not got a great managerial record has he Vieira he was in no. um, he was in charge in the MLS as well wasn't he but yeah. v- Wagner he's the interesting one isn't he because we know more about him as a manager but he just doesn't seem to make much sense because as you quite rightly pointed out Bournemouth for now for years now have been associated with attacking football pressing and just playing with fluidity David Wagner is Almost the opposite, the opposite of that, really, isn't he? And it just doesn't seem to make sense for me. So I'm not really sure I'd be a fan of that appointment. No, and you look at the Schalke team this season, It's, uh, I think they've got eight points. Um, and obviously, Wagner was sacked, but uh, Jacob made a really good point last week and that um, about going for Alex Neal, and I put it in my article. I think Alex Neal's a perfect, perfect man for the job. Well, Harry Redknapp has been attending Bournemouth's training sessions. He was asked to by caretaker boss Jonathan Woodgate. Of course, they worked together at Spurs. Why are you laughing? Because, why? Why not? He's an experienced manager. Yeah, but he's one of those managers who gets coaches to do the coaching and he just picks the team and essentially he didn't do much. I don't know. I don't, I've never rated him. Sorry. Well, harsh words. Um, we finally know why Nathaniel Mendes-Lang had his contract terminated by Cardiff in September. The FA have revealed he tested positive for cocaine and was banned for three months. He was subsequently sacked by Cardiff, who at the time called it an alleged breach of contract. He's now playing for Middlesbrough after signing for them at the start of the month. Wednesday owner Chan Siri has rejected an offer to buy the club from his former advisor, Eric Alonso is said to be backed by a wealthy Indonesian consortium and offered up to £30 million for a 100% stake, but Chansiri declined to enter negotiations. Alonso announced on Twitter last week he had parted ways with Chansiri due to what he described as irreconcilable differences. Um, I just want anyone to own Wednesday apart from Chansiri at this point, Justin. (laughs) Within reason, I believe that Alonso is involved with the person who bought Charlton or was involved in the, the purchase of Charlton last season which went awry quite quickly um, so maybe somebody else mm. Swansea boss Steve Cooper has won manager of the month for January they had four games including ones against Brentford and Watford and they managed to pick up 10 points Rotherham midfielder Matt Crooks got player of the month after scoring three and helping Rotherham climb out of the relegation zone left back Akraf Lazar has signed for Watford he left Newcastle last week after spending four and a half years there. Made just nine appearances for Newcastle in that time. And finally, Justin, has Derby's takeover been complete yet? No. 
course it hasn't. Let's do some polls. So this is the part of the show where we ask you three questions on Twitter that we want to get your thoughts on. So the first question we put to our terrific listeners, Justin, who is going up automatically this season? Brentford slash Norwich, Brentford slash Swansea, Norwich slash Swansea, or someone else? Which one are you going for, Justin? It's impossible, um, but I think I think it'll be Norwich and Brentford, although Swansea, it's very hard to rule them out. It's so hard, isn't it? It's so tight, and all, I, I rate all three of those teams. I really do. I think, for me, I would go Brentford and Swansea, though, just because Norwich are a bit leaky at the back. Our listeners said Brentford and Norwich. 40% said that. 28% said Brentford slash Swansea. 23% said Norwich slash Swansea. Uh, 9% said somebody else. Uh, which manager is going to be sacked next? Carlos Corberan, Dean Holden, Ito Karanka or somebody else? Birmingham City have a habit of pulling the trigger really late. Um, so I think if anyone might lose his job, it might be Holden next, I think. I'd say Karanka there. 55% said Karanka. 35% said Holden. Only 6% said Corbran. I think he's got off there quite lightly because Huddersfield look awful at the moment. And uh, 4% said somebody else. And finally, which biscuit is better? Chocolate bourbon or custard cream? I'm sorry. We had this debate on our WhatsApp group in the week. Um, Because our WhatsApp groups are so lit, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) It's a heated debate. It always is. I don't agree with any of them I don't like I, I'll eat them but if you had to choose me. one I'm abstaining well get this it was 51% 49% in favour of chocolate bourbon it's that tight that tight um, and that's about it for the polls now it's time for this hi Simon Grayson Edge. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Jimmy Atkinson from the Preston podcast from the Finney. Jimmy, this is your debut in Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. How are you feeling? Yeah, excited. Valentine's Day surprise for me. (laughs) So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name Lewis Graben's last eight clubs and Justin would say Villa, that's one down. And Jimmy would say Forest, that's another down. But then if Justin would say Man United, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Uh, so, since we've got a Preston fan here, let's pay homage to a Preston legend, a championship legend, and also an England legend. David Nugent has played for eight different clubs in his career. Can you name them? I think you should be able to get this, but I've been proven wrong before. Justin, we'll start off with you. Can you name me one of David Nugent's eight different clubs in his career? Of his first club, which was Berry. You are absolutely right. Started his career there. Uh, Jimmy? I'll go with Preston, as it's my club. Yeah, obvious answer. Uh, two spells at Preston, playing 132 games and scoring 38 goals. Justin, it's your go. Can we get a, a bonus point if we do this chronologically? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> it doesn't count for anything, but why not, yeah. Uh, Portsmouth? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Joined them for six million in 2007. Wasn't particularly successful. Uh, Jimmy, your go. Burnley. Yeah, had a loan spell there in the 2009-10 season. You're going to do this in chronological order, aren't you? Uh, Justin, it's your go. (laughs) 
hopefully. Uh, uh, wait, I think, was it uh, Leicester next? Yep. Had four seasons at Leicester, including three where he scored 14 goals or more, which ain't too bad, really. Uh, Jimmy, your guy? Tramier. Yeah, not chronological order, so you don't get that extra point. Uh, but yeah, he, he moved there in the most recent transfer window. Justin, there are two left. It's your guy. Burra. Yeah, he had a season and a half at Riverside. And that means you've got one left. And I imagine you're going to get this, Jimmy. Yeah, Derby County. Yeah, you've absolutely pissed it. Wow, I did not expect <laughs> you to do it this easily. But there you go. Yeah, you've completed Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Jimmy, a win on your debut. How do you feel? Yeah, sorry, Justin, for letting you down. I completely had a mind blank about about Trump, about <laughs> Leicester and Derby. Then you, well, you've cruised through Simon Grayson's hateful eight, and we've had plenty of people fall foul of it. So you should not be ashamed whatsoever. But well done, chaps! You have successfully conquered Simon Grayson's hateful eight, and that means we are at the end of the show. So Jimmy Atkinson from the Preston Podcast from the Finney, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having us on, chaps. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I'll be just in beach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.